Hey, Chris. Hey, Emily. You're not Greg. I'm not. I'm sitting in for Greg. This is Chris Peters on the evening news. I don't know what that was. Why did I do that? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's because you're in St. John right now and you're feeling kind of frisky. Tell us about St. John. Yeah, so St. John is in New Brunswick. This is my first time in New Brunswick. It's a beautiful uh, place. We're in the Atlantic time zone, and I don't like that because everything is later here, and I don't I don't like that. But you know what? Uh, it is a beautiful place. It's right on the water, good seafood, and good hockey, so can't go wrong. I love it. I love that we've kicked Greg out, too, and we have a total Midwest time zone bias. Let's go central time zone. Love that time zone. Awesome. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We've got Brendan Burke, the broadcaster for the Islanders on MSG, joining us. He'll talk all things the nine-game winning streak Islanders plus the next wave of NHL broadcasting. I'm going to pick Chris's brain because he's an expert on which rookies are making the biggest impact in the NHL, a little early prospect talk, plus some dig in to my big player confidential that ran this week and a new segment debuting for this week. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds. A podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Welcome to ESPN on ice. I'm Emily Kaplan, the national NHL reporter, and my uh, speech impediment from middle school and elementary school, where I couldn't say my R, seems to be coming out. Let's start the show proper, shall we? And uh, joining me today is who? Uh, Chris Peters, a uh, staff writer covering the NHL, NHL draft, prospects, uh, you know, all those things. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have Chris join me. He is truly a delight. He li- He's the only, is the best fact about Chris, he's the only NHL writer living in the state of Iowa. Is that correct? As far as I know, I think I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah. If there is one, we got to start having meetings. Uh, but yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, yeah, man about town and originally from Chicago, so I know I know a bit about where you're at right now, but but yeah, I uh, I live in Iowa and uh, that seems to uh, shock people every time I tell them. I love it. All right, Chris. Well, your expertise is always the draft class and you've been following these guys probably since they were 15 years old, maybe younger in some cases, and now that this 2019 class is starting to make an impact in the NHL, I just wanted to get your thoughts, firstly, like maybe an early Calder rankings, uh, what you think Kako and Hughes look like. We've got a lot to get to. So let's start with the first two big guys. What has your uh, impressions been early of Jack Hughes with the Devils and Capo Kako with the Rangers? Yeah, well, you know, I think I think it's a good reminder. The, the, the way that they both started is is that the NHL is a tough league. And these guys are still very young. And both both guys were, you know, uh you know, 2001 birth date. So they're, they're among the youngest players in the National Hockey League. Uh, and as we saw with Jack Hughes, uh, there was a lot of complaining about, you know, his net lack of scoring. But in his last four game, four of his last five games, he's got seven points and, and he's starting to find his way. And most of them have been on the power play. That's typical. You're going to start to see that where, where a player is just going to have a little bit more time and space and then they're going to have a little bit more success. But I think what I've seen from Hughes is that he's continually improved and, and that's been the most important thing. I think that's the thing that John Hines is going to like the most and what, what fans should be paying most attention to, not necessarily the points that they're having, just are they getting better each day? And I think that's what Jack Hughes is doing. Now, Capo Caco has had a bit of a tougher, uh, tougher road. I, you know, I think both of these teams have kind of underachieved in terms of what the, the expectations were coming in. But it's a, another reminder that when you have young teams like these, there are going to be 
situations where you're just not going to have the success and, and you have to be more patient. Uh, Kako has three goals though. I mean, and he, and those have been some, some nice goals. He had a really good one the other night and, uh, you wow, know, just what kind a nice of, uh, goal. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a good player. Yeah. What, what a nice goal. Yeah. Wow. A nice goal. And he, he's, uh, he's a really, he's a guy that I, I think just will, continue to get better. I was really concerned when I saw that he said he was, you know, not having fun. It was really hard. Um, I, I was getting, you know, that, that transition is not easy. It's especially not easy in that media market. And it's, it's not easy playing for, for a big franchise like, like the New York Rangers, but we're starting to see him get more comfortable. We're starting to see that Rangers team, I think as well, you know, guys like Adam Fox, uh, you know, younger guys on that team, they're starting to get more comfortable and, and that is going to only help. So patience, Rangers fans, patience, Devils fans. This is only the beginning and these guys are just going to continue to build. Yeah. So, you know, we've entered now the second month of the year and it feels like the early hype on the call there, uh, Victor Olison might be cooling off his, he's stagnated now at six goals. Um, Honestly, to me, this feels like the year we're finally going to see a defenseman. It's going to come down, in my opinion. Right now, the two leaders for me would be Kale McCarr, who has 11 points and is averaging nearly 19 minutes a game, shouldering a big workload for the Cal- uh, Colorado Avalanche. Or uh, Quinn Hughes, Jack's brother, who also has 10 points, a goal of nine assists, and is having 19-20 a game and really is a big part of that offensive success that the Vancouver Canucks are seeing. What would say you? I, I totally agree. You know, I did my uh, my prospect uh, or rookie rankings last week, and at this early stage of the season, you know it's going to be fluid. Kale McCarr was number one for me. Quinn Hughes was number three. Hughes is sliding up to number two. You know, Olafson has really cooled off, and most of his production has been on the power play. The same is true for Quinn Hughes. He's a power play weapon. That's kind of what we knew he would be early on, but the fact that Travis Green had him on the second power play unit first and then moves him up to the first power play unit and everything starts clicking. It's just because... You know, Quinn Hughes is, is, is an incredible talent when it comes to skating. And obviously he's out with an injury right now. It's a day to day situation. Doesn't look too serious, but he's a guy that generates so much with his feet. And you watch him skate. There are very few guys in the NHL that skate like him that uses edges and the, and the way that he can open up his hips and open up ice. That's pretty incredible. And, and so that's been awesome to see. Uh, and then Kale McCarr, he's had those, those kind of inconsistencies that you would expect from any rookie, but you know, a lot of people thought that he would just breeze by that because of how good he was in the playoffs last year. Not the case this year. It's, it's their bumps in, in, in the road, but he's still producing. He's still faster than a lot of guys in this league. It's amazing to watch him skate in open ice. Um, and, and I think those two guys are certainly the front runners, but you know, we've got a long way to go. There's a lot that can happen. Uh, there are obviously guys that can, that can kind of come up and, and we've, we've seen, you know, older players like Ilya Mikiev for, for, uh, for the Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leafs, your, your boy, the soup man, uh, the soup boy, boy, yeah, he'll, he'll eventually graduate to soup man, but yeah, he is, uh, he is an incredible, uh, you know, uh, in, incredibly important for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs because he, he gives them depth. He gives them a, an extra scoring guy. Um, you know, do I think he'll win the Calder? Probably not. I think the, the fact that he's 25, the fact that he's got so many years of KHL experience, voters probably won't go that way. But he's a guy that I think at least warrants attention just because of how much he's meant to a Maple Leafs team that, that needs middle of the lineup scoring. Yeah, that needs players to be contributing on entry level contracts is really what you mean. Exactly. Um, but yes. 
One last thing I want to touch on for you before we switch gears, and uh, there's two teams that's starting to let the kids play. One is the Islanders, and we'll hold off on that talk because we're going to have Brendan Burke, but they do have Noah Dobson and Oliver Wallstrom in the lineup, even though they're getting somewhat limited roles, especially Dobson. But a team you and I follow pretty closely, the Chicago Blackhawks, is turning to the kids. Not only is Kirby Doc sticking around, but they have Adam Boquist they called up, which was pretty shocking to some people. What do you think this all means? I think it means that that the Blackhawks are know that they they have a lot of holes and that these guys are just about ready to fill them. Now, I think if you're an NHL team, you don't want to make need be, need based decisions on your prospects. You don't want to be in that position. That's a position the Blackhawks are in right now. Kirby Doc has you know three points in eight games so far. Adam Boquist scored a goal in his second game, an absolute wiring shot. I mean, it was a beautiful shot um, and showed his skill. But these are two guys that still have a lot to learn. You know, Kirby Doc did not dominate the WHL on a consistent basis last year. He missed training camp, uh, you know, with, with the concussion from, from rookie the rookie tournament. So I think there are going to be a lot of growing pains for him, but he's looked very comfortable. They have him on the power play. They're giving him opportunities. That's the most important thing. Boquist, you know, he, he didn't exactly light the AHL on fire. He scored his first AHL goal the same week he scored his first NHL goal. Um, and that was his first AHL point. So, I mean, the fact that the Blackhawks are willing to get these guys up, they need players to push their veterans. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing with these two guys right now. And, 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 and also, you know, Alex Nylander, who had been there from the start of the season, I think he's playing uh, ahead of where I thought he would. But the Blackhawks are in a situation, it's, it's need-based, and it's not always the best situation, but if the kids can, can prove that they can hang, then, then you're, you're, you're feeling all right. But I think that this is a situation the Blackhawks have to monitor really closely because Boquist and Doc are two of the most important players in the entire organization right now, and you cannot get that wrong because they are going to be the future of that team. Protect the organization at all costs. That's the uh, hockey motto. All right, we're going to switch gears, like I said, in a pretty dramatic way. Uh, a project I've been working on for a couple, I could even say months now. Um, it's been weeks, but months is NHL player confidential. It dropped on ESPN.com on Tuesday. I was super pumped about it because as I do, I just ask players all the ridiculous questions that I like to ask them. Like which team has the worst visiting locker room? Uh, do you have a burner Twitter account? Does the NHL have a cocaine problem? Do you have gritty fatigue? Um, not to put you on the spot, but I'm curious if you saw it and if there's anything that stuck out to you. Oh, I, I saw it. All right. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is going to be lighting up the internet. I, I love it. You know, I think, uh, certainly, uh, poor Winnipeg. I think that's one takeaway. Uh, sorry, Winnipeg. Honestly, cardinal rule of the NHL reporting number one is that if there's a butt of all jokes, it's typically Winnipeg. I do have to give a shout out though to the one player who gave one of my favorite responses. Um, I want to pull it up right now. Um, you said, what's the worst, uh, what's the most dreaded road trip? And obviously all the guys say Winnipeg and he goes, people said Winnipeg, right? I'm sure they all said that. Look, there's stuff to do there. We're close to the casino. If you want to go a half hour or whatever, <laughs> you can do that. Wherever you go, they have TSN on. I can't get that here on my redacted US based team. So Winnipeg, they have TSN. They should use that in all of their tourism ads. <laughs> Absolutely. Get, get your Bob McKenzie right here in Winnipeg. This is the only, mm-hmm. the only place on the road, you, you American team players. But yeah, you know, I, and I also thought, Emily, it was really telling that, that, that a lot of the guys, you know, the, one of the questions that I was most interested in seeing the answers to was, was the recreational drugs question. And, and, you know, I'm so glad that you asked that because, it, you know, it's something that we've heard from NHL executives about, but it's not something we've heard a lot from players. And it seems like they kind of downplayed it a little bit. 
Yeah, they did. And, you know, especially when it look, the recreational drug question is interesting, right? Because they test for marijuana and coke, but they don't punish for it. And that was one of the things I wanted to get into with guys. And guys down the line pretty much had the same response. They're like, look, I think one of those job uh, drugs is probably a little bit better than the other. When you look at the legality of it, the laws are changing to, you know, make marijuana essentially what drinking was for us when we were growing up. So, you know, I, I don't think that um, that should be punished. And look, as long as it's not affecting your performance, guys should do whatever you want. We're professional athletes. We know what's good for our body. Uh, when it came to the NHL have a Coke problem, I think the answers were really intriguing for people. Look, you have to wonder how really unvarnished these guys' answers are, how truthful, A, they want to be, or B, they are inside themselves. Like, you know, I think sometimes they might not know exactly what the truth is, but like down the line, most guys' response were, well, I've never been on a team where there's a Coke problem. I've heard stories of other guys doing it, and maybe they do it in the summer, but I've never seen it. Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta protect your own, right? So, yeah, and <laughs> I, I think I, I think that that's that was that was to be expected. Um, but but I think it's good that that there were some guys that were willing to talk about it. And I I really do think that the the, the marijuana issue or or lack thereof, or you know, just as things continue to change in in, in behaviors and 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 ideas and. And, and, and just everything tied to the, the marijuana question, it's all changing right now. So I think that that's going to be something that the league is, is going to have to take a, a, a bigger look at just in terms of, you know, how much does this help players? And there are guys that certainly, I think that, you know, we talk about things like anxiety, pain, pain relief, things that of those, those kind of, uh, things that, that can be benefits, you know, maybe there is uh, something to that. And, and as, as it more states legalize it, I'm sure that's a conversation the league is going to have more, uh, closely with their medical personnel and, and obviously the trainers and, and the players themselves. Sure. I'm going to highlight my actually three favorite quotes uh, nice. before we move on. One was my question, which, you know, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, one of the hills I want to die on is players going out and marketing themselves. And I asked guys, would you feel comfortable uh, appearing in a big national ad campaign for Gatorade or Nike? Or is that too much attention to you as a hockey player? And like, I actually had like three of these responses, which I sent to the woman who's in charge of the body issues. Like, yeah, I would do that, but I wouldn't do the body issue, though. That's too much. <laughs> um, the question on if they're gritty fatigue, those are pretty an- good answers. A lot of guys just said they found it hilarious and they thought it was good for the league. It's, it's getting out there. But this one is flagged by our friend Katie Strang. Uh, she DM'd me and said she thought this was a hilarious look into this player's psyche. Um, I thought it would wear out by now. I guess I don't really mind him. Like, he's not affecting me. It's just a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty amazing if you think about it. And then uh, the other one that seems to be getting flagged on Twitter is pretty hilarious is, do you have a burner Twitter account? And to the guy who said, I've never logged on to Twitter in my life, please reveal yourself. Please tag yourself on Twitter. It's pretty clear you probably have. Yeah, and also good advice, I think, <laughs> to, to, to anybody. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, hey. We, we love, we love you, Twitter. Sorry. We, we, we love you. But yeah, that was, uh, that was also my favorite answer, uh, whether it was truthful or not. And, and I think that that is, uh, it's just, like I said, it's good advice. I mean, who, who needs that? Well, I encourage everyone to check out the story. The art team did an incredible job illustrating it. There is the pictures do not depict who was actually interviewed in the column. They're just illustrations, but, um, an incredible emo PK Subban in what looks to be Winnipeg or Buffalo, uh, drinking coffee with his fedora. Uh, there's a Connor McDavid getting freaked out by a smelly something in a locker room. It, it's good stuff. So thank you to everyone, including Amy Crawford, the editor, who helped me put that together. I'm really pleased with how it turned out. And now, Chris, it is time for a guest, a guy that you wrote about this week for ESPN.com. 
the Islanders broadcaster for MSG. It's Brendan Burke. And now joining us, as I said, is Brendan Burke of MSG. And Brendan, we have to start with this. The Islanders have won nine games in a row. Are you surprised? Uh, can I say yes? I have to say yes. I mean, no one, no one expects anybody to win nine games in a row. I don't think that uh, I was probably as pessimistic as most of the media was coming into the season about what the Islanders would do this year. Um, but, you know, a nine-game winning streak, I think, especially with the way the team started with a one-and-three start, um, in, and really within this nine-game winning streak, probably in the first five of them, they were outplayed in four of them, but they found a way to win. So it, it's been a surprising stretch for them to string it together, but the scary thing is, is they've gotten better as the nine games have gone along, so we'll see where it takes them. And, Brennan, you know, it seemed like last year they had – a chip on their shoulder a bit and you know maybe does that still exist a little bit because it seems like there's they still weren't getting the respect as you mentioned there was a lot of pessimism around them but I mean is there a chip on the shoulder element this year as well yeah I think so I think you know last year all of a sudden they, they pick up 103 points they finish with the fifth best record in the NHL and everyone goes yeah but they didn't pick up anybody during the offseason so they probably can't do it again uh, so it, it's it's amazing that it's the same story, despite the fact that the team went out and proved everybody wrong last year. But um, you know they, they didn't make a big splash in the free agent market. Their biggest free agent signings were Simeon Varlamov and Derek Broussard, and so people were were writing them off again. And you know looking at all the the analytics and the models and picking them for anywhere from seventy eight to eighty five points for a team that had hundred three a year ago and didn't really lose anybody. I think that that's something that those guys took personally. Brendan, we talked in the beginning of the show about the kids making an impact in the NHL. And some of the new things that are happening around the Islanders is that they've got Oliver Wallstrom and Noah Dobson sticking around. Now, Noah's kind of struggling to get into the regular rotation. And Oliver's in there and hasn't had points. What do you think the plan for them is? Is Are, are we going to see them stick around all season? And how are they going to incorporate them? I think Wallstrom is up because of the injuries. I think Jordan Everly's injury opened the door for Oliver Wallstrom. They gave him a chance to be a top six player. Um, and it didn't quite work right away, and so he's moved into kind of a fourth-line role, which is probably not where he's projected long-term. So he's steady enough to play in the NHL, give him seven to ten minutes a night, um, but they're not putting him in the role that they anticipate him being in. So I think when bodies get healthy, that Oliver Wallstrom is back in Bridgeport. That was the original plan out of camp, and I think they would like to see him spend the majority of the season getting better at the American Hockey League level. For Noah Dobson, he's interesting because he's 19. He can't go to Bridgeport, so the only option is to send him back to juniors. I know there is some concern about how he's used in juniors because he's such an elite player. He's won back-to-back Memorial Cups. You're talking about a kid that they're playing close to 40 minutes a night down in the, in the Quebec Major Junior League, so they don't want to do that. So I think they're stuck. They don't want him in, in juniors. They don't really want him in the NHL lineup every night. So I could see them milking this nine games until Christmas and then sending him to World Juniors and then sending him back. I could see them keeping him on the NHL roster but playing sporadically the whole season. They're just trying to get him bigger and stronger and ready for next year, and they're trying to figure out what the best way to do that is. And, and Brennan, you know, th- this is uh, kind of the dance that, that Barry Trotz has to do as the coach, and it's it's one of those things that he didn't necessarily have to deal with this year. But, but aside from that, you know, 
what's it been like for you to kind of work with Barry Trotz, learn from Barry Trotz? I mean, you know, the, the broadcaster relationship with, uh, with the coach can often be different than, than other, you know, other entities in the media. So just wonder kind of what's your, been your experience? Obviously such a huge part of, of that organization, the, the resurgence and, or, or just the, the ability to stay consistent despite the losses of players. And so I, I guess what's it been like being around him and, and what are some of the things that, that really stand out to you about Barry Trotz? Yeah, uh, he's been he's been great. He's been everything that everybody in Nashville and everybody in Washington told us he'd be. Because when you get Barry Trotz, everybody comes out and says you're going to love him, um, and you do. He's such a, a smart hockey mind, and he's very open. Uh, you talk about that relationship with a broadcaster. A lot of times, everybody watches the press conference or everybody watches the the morning skate scrum where everybody's crowded around him, and then after that, you know, he'll step aside and he'll talk to Butch and I and Chris King and. Um, you know, kind of give us a little more insight, things that he probably wouldn't say on camera, but give us more information that, that we're equipped with um, and so we can understand what's going on in the game a little bit better. So he's been very great with that, very open with us. And, um, you know, he's been a guy that uh, has taught the team so much, and it's been fun to see the evolution of the players and even the way they answer questions based on he's, they sound more and more like Barry Trotz every day. So you get that consistent <laughs> messaging from the players, and it just kind of shows you that they're getting the consistent messaging from the coaching staff, um, and it's now ingrained in them. And so they all start to answer questions the same way. They all start to say the same things. and um, It's all stemming from a very good place in, in Barry Trotz taking over, and, and his entire staff really have been great for the team and have been great to work with. Brendan, I can attest to that. I talked to Andrews Lee on the phone this week, and if I could have counted the number of hockey cliches that I got out of him, which is no disrespect to Andrews Lee, that is how a captain of the New York Islanders should speak, but it was it was a tough one. Yeah, no, it's it's all about commitment and hard work, and you know all the all of the things that you know, and and probably I, you know we're saying it's Barry Trust. That might even come from higher. That might be all from Lou Lamorello. So it's all good. The Lou effect. Well, Brendan, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is Chris wrote such a terrific piece for ESPN.com this week about the next wave of young broadcasters in the league, and you were among them. And I'd love to know, I'm guessing this is something you've wanted to do your entire life, but what would you say is your big break for how you got to this stage at such a young age? Oh, boy. Uh, all of them. I, you know, it's <laughs> it's to get to this level, period, and let alone when I did it at the age of 32, um, takes, takes a lot of uh, stars aligning to have that happen, but um, you know, I was born into the broad. I was born into the sports media world. My dad's a sports writer, so I grew up on that side of it. Uh, so I've had a relationship with broadcasters my whole life, and I've wanted to do it since I was nine years old. But um, I lucked out getting a job in the ECHL with the Wheeling Nailers right out of college because I had sent my tape to them when their job wasn't open, and their broadcaster left last minute, and they decided to hire me instead of going on this, you know, nationwide search for the next broadcaster. So that got me started at, at 22 in double-A hockey, which was, uh, you know, I think a, a step ahead of a lot of people at that age. And then it just kind of worked out for me where when I was in Peoria in the AHL, I got an opportunity to fill in on some NHL games for the St. Louis Blues. And so here I am at 26 years old uh, in the American Hockey League with a tape of some NHL action. And so that kind of put me ahead of the curve a little bit for a lot of different things. And uh, I wound up getting picked up doing some college football for Fox. And then when the Islanders job came open, I had a, a hockey radio tape and a football TV tape, and I asked them to use their imagination that I could do this and put it together. And uh, they let me audition for the job, and here I am. So uh, a lot of different breaks along the way, but that's kind of the clip notes of it. Yeah, I, I mean, Brendan, it's you know we talked a bit about the 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 the, the young journeyman is kind of what I, what I labeled you as because you did have to to kind of 
a 10 year career in the minors. But one of the things that, that really stands out to me about you, and it really stood out after the piece was out was how much Islanders fans seem to really love you. I mean, I, that my, my mentions were absolutely blown up with Islanders fans saying how much they appreciate you. And the fact that you know, you had to replace Howie Rose, a guy that you knew and, and that obviously uh, uh, had such a, a great connection with the fans. It seems like the transition has been relatively seamless. I mean, what has it been like for you to kind of form that relationship with the fans? And then also, um, you know, the fact that, that Howie was a guy that gave you some really good advice right when you started out. Yeah, I mean, the, the advice you're, you're referring to is Howie called me right before my first game and said, you know, don't act like you're filling in for anybody. This is your job. And so that kind of changed my mindset of how do I was going to attack this job. But I think, you know, a couple of things, a couple of factors led into my transition. One was that MSG was, was uh, I guess, willing to, when maybe a lot of other networks and teams weren't, based on the amount of times I've heard no for NHL jobs, was to give the job to somebody that no one's ever heard of before. Because it's such a good job. And it's an NHL job, and it's the number one market. And they hired an AHL radio guy. So nobody really had any preconceived notions of me. I didn't have any ties to any other teams. I didn't have any other body of work that people knew about. So I think when I got hired, the, the response was, who? So <laughs> instead of, oh, my God, I don't like him, it was, all right, let's see. They gave this kid the job. Let's see what he can do. And so I think Islanders really did have an open line to me coming in. Uh, and then... Uh, I guess they, they took to the way I call the game. It's very different from what Howie did. Um, you know, I'm more of a radio guy where I follow the puck and, and call the action, and, and Howie was a, a gifted storyteller and a lot of other things, but um, I call the game differently than him. And so uh, I don't know if it was uh, after 20 years of Howie, people, you know, like the change, uh, at least in terms of that regard, but people seem to really take to me pretty early and. I spent a lot of time on Twitter and with the fans trying to learn about them and who they are and what they've been through so that I could really become an Islander. And, and I worked really hard at it. And I feel now that I've finally moved out to Long Island, I think I've got it all figured out. So here we are four years in, and I'm, I'm just starting to feel like I'm a true Islander now. Brendan, one of the things I love about broadcasters is seeing their process behind the scenes, uh, all the different pens and markers they use to write their notes so that they can get ready. Tell us a little bit about your game prep. Yeah, so I can't read my own handwriting is my <laughs> problem. That's a problem. So, yeah, so I actually travel with a printer. I have a printer in my suitcase <laughs> on every road trip, and I have it in the hotel with me. A lot of times I'll have it in the press box with me because all of my notes, all of my charts have to be printed out. I developed a, a format on a, on Microsoft Publisher that I have uh, tweaked and tweaked over the past you know 12 years. And got it to a point of 14 years. Jeez, I've been doing this all the time. Been doing this, you know, differently every year, but pretty much the same thing. And I've got a, a system where I, I've got a box for every player, and I've got a lot of information. And I type up my notes. And you know, sometimes I hate to admit this, but sometimes during the national anthem, I'm printing out my notes. That's how close I bring it to game time because uh, the way I prep, I literally prep until I run out of time. I rarely ever feel like I'm done where I'm like, all right, it's 4 o'clock, let me just sit back and have some food and get ready for the 7 o'clock game. I pretty much use every minute I have. Um, I print out my notes at the last second and, and go to work. So um, it's an ever-evolving process for me, but it's uh, it, it's a fun one. It's, it's something that I tell young broadcasters. If you don't like the floor, if you don't like getting ready for a game, then you're not going to be a good broadcaster because that's that's the time consuming. That's the hard part. 
you know, everybody can turn on a microphone at 7 o'clock and do the job, but do you enjoy doing it the rest of your life? Because that's pretty much what it takes, you know, to be good at this. And I do. I enjoy the process. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think it really pays off and it shows. And, and one of the things that, you know, people, uh, more NHL fans are going to get more familiar with you because you have had the opportunity to, to do national games. Um, so I just wonder, you know, how, how difficult is that transition to make? You're, you're with a team all year and you're trying to, to kind of nail everything down for that. But then, you know, you, you parachute in recently for a Rangers game, which I'm sure, uh, Islanders fans, uh, got a little nervous about maybe, but, but yeah, you know, you had that opportunity to do, to do national games as well. So how does that, that transition, uh, how, how does that go? How difficult is that? And ultimately, uh, uh, how does it come together in, in that on the broadcast? Yeah, don't tell Islander fans I'm doing another Ranger game next week too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it's it's interesting, you know. The, the difference between a national and a, and a regional game is that the majority of your audience in a national game doesn't need the detail that you do when they're watching 82 of your games a year, and so it's almost easier to parachute in for a national game because you only have to give the overall periphery of stuff. You know, you like to get in detail and you like to get in stories, but, you know, doing a Ranger game and telling the fact that Capo Cato is the number two overall pick is not breaking news to Ranger fans. But some people that watch national games might forget that that's who that is. So, you know, the, the little things that, a, that a, a, a local fan base takes for granted and goes, why is he talking about the national fan base you know, wants to hear that type of thing. So you have to make sure you have all of the big stories down. You don't really have to dive too much into detail. I mean, you can, uh, and the analysts certainly do. But for me, it's just making sure that I have all the nuts and bolts on everything um, because you don't really have to dive too deep, uh, especially if the game's good. If the game's good, you know, I'm always a guy that uh, the game's always the story. So I'm not going in with a checklist of different topics and storylines that I feel like I need to get in. If they get in, they get in. If the game's going well and people are, you know, involved in the game, let's just talk about the game because that's why people are here watching. So um, to do a Ranger game or do a game in the Metropolitan Division or even the Eastern Conference is a lot easier for me because I see these teams all the time. The real challenge is uh, not last year but the previous two seasons, I'd, I'd done, you know, most of the games in the Eastern Conference and then they'd send me on a Pacific Division playoff series between San Jose and Edmonton, for instance. Uh, two teams that I had only seen twice each and hadn't seen at all since I think it was November. And now I'm jumping into a playoff series. So just the amount of work to get ready for a series like that because they're not on your everyday radar uh, is a lot more work. But then once you get through game one, then all of a sudden you're doing the same two teams four, five, six games in a row, and then it becomes a little bit easier. And then it's the playoffs and the stories are just the playoffs. So, um, But it's a lot of work to get up to speed for one of those Western Conference games like that. But it's always fun. I love the challenge of it. All right, Brendan, we're so appreciative of your time. Before we let you go, one quick hitter for you. Give me one bold yep. prediction. You're around this team every day. Uh, you see them in and out. One bold prediction for the rest of the Islander season. Oh, boy. Uh, Give us your hot take. You know what? I, yeah. How, how about, uh, I'm not going to say another Jennings trophy, but how about the Islanders finish top five and goals allowed again? Uh, you know, the, everybody wanted to say that it was Robin Leonard. For some reason, and, and trust me, Robin's a great guy and he had a great season. People often forget the goalie split last season for the New York Islanders was 43 starts for Robin Leonard and 39 starts for Thomas Grice. Uh, you know, people forget that the other half of that goalie tandem is still there and that the goalie coaches that turned around Robin Leonard's career are still on the island. So 
Uh, Varlamov's off to a great start. Thomas Grice has picked up where he's left off. And I think the Islanders will be challenging again for a Jennings Trophy uh, come the end of the year because uh, I don't see any reason why that would change. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brendan, for your time. We appreciate it. How can people follow your work? Uh, Brendan M. Burke on Twitter or, of course, uh, Welcome to the M Club. Uh, Yeah. We're both uh, Emily M. Kaplan and Chris M. Peters. (laughs) Yeah. I got Matthew represented. I don't know who who has actual Brendan Burke. I think it was a comedian in Ireland. But either way, uh, I had to go with Brendan M. Burke. So we'll deal with that. Mm. We feel your pain. (laughs) Thanks, Brendan M. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Our thanks to Brendan Burke and MSG. That was a really interesting conversation. Do you know what's always interesting to me every single week, Chris? What's that, Emily? Our favorite segment. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Well, this is typically the segment each week where we talk about the strained media narratives and foibles of the hockey media. But Greg is not here. And this has really become Greg's thing, what he loves to rant on. So we decided to make a new segment this week. And that's called Greg Wyshynski Loves Sushi. Because Greg Wyshynski is in Tokyo or Kyoto right now or somewhere in Japan eating sushi. So we decided to make this the week that we talk about all the strained and tired narratives revolving food in the NHL. Now, Chris, I, I, I tasked us both with finding a story that involved the NHL with food. Um, I will go first. It actually involves beverages. David Riddich is having a great year for the Calgary Flames. He's uh, shouldering a much big work, bigger workload. And apparently it's because he's drinking much less Coca-Cola. There is an entire article in the Montreal Gazette that I found that is literally about David Riddich's Coca-Cola consumption. Apparently, he's limited himself to only drinking it on game days, unclear of what it falls into his routine, unclear of how much he was clearly drinking before. But according to everyone in the Flames organization, organization, it's making him play a lot better. Sure, yeah. I mean, wouldn't it? <laughs> you're, you're, uh, yeah, David Riddich. Good stuff. Well, I have one, too. I have one, too. And it is about our a rookie. I mean, it's got to be, right? It's on brand for me. And it is Ethan Bear, who has cut out carbs. And this comes to us courtesy of uh, CBC.ca, Vicky Hall reporting. And yeah, he's cut out carbs from his diet. He got into uh, following LeBron James on social media, and he was just kind of looking at all that stuff. And, and he decided that, that he was going to cut carbs. He's going to load up on vegetables, a lot of grilled chicken and steak. And you know what? He's playing a ton of minutes for Edmonton. He's actually playing pretty well. Uh, you know, he basically made the decision, do I want to be an NHL player or am I an AHL player? He changed his diet and it really helped him. And I think that that's, uh, that's good to see because, uh, Ethan Bear is a guy that's been kind of plying, plotting around the minors a little bit. And finally he is starting to, uh, see success. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. It is your first inaugural Greg Wyshynski Love Sushi. If you like it, great. Maybe it'll return one day, but you might be hearing hot dogs <laughs> next week. All right. Now I wanted to do what I usually do um, behind closed doors and not brawl recording the podcast, and that's pick Chris Peter's brain on every single thing revolving prospects. I do not follow the draft until it is time to follow the draft, but luckily Chris does. And Chris, I want to talk prospects. Give us your top three right now. One, two, and three. Yeah, well, the the, the 2020 draft is really interesting. I, I think that there's... 
there's a lot of talent right at the very top of the draft. So in terms of number one in this draft, the consensus right now is Alexi Lafreniere for the Ramuski Oceanic. Um, you know, that's r- originally why I was in St. John. I, I was supposed to watch him play here, but he, uh, is injured and, and had to pull out of the Canada Russia series, which is why I'm in St. John. And Alexi, uh, has 43 points in 18 games. That's 2.39 points per game. It's an insane level of production. It's the most by a U19 player in the QMJHL since Sidney Crosby. Uh, so that is a, that's pretty good. Um, and then also, you know, he's just, uh, an, he's, he's got a huge body of work, great hands, good physical strength. He, he has a bit of nastiness to him. Um, you know, he's, he's a winger. Which I think is, is one of the reasons why there was some, you know, question as to whether or not he would be, uh, the best option at number one. And the guy that's kind of risen as a challenger, and though I, I don't think that he's at the level of Lafreniere yet, is Quentin Byfield, who plays for the Sudbury Wolves in the OHL. He's six foot four, 215 or so pounds. Uh, I mean, he, he skates like a freight train and he's got 33 points in 18 games right now. Uh, comparable production to uh, the draft seasons of Dylan Strom and Steven Stamkos, um, but he is a center. He is a power forward. Uh, he has good hands. He has good vision, um, in, and he, he can skate like the wind. And then my number three guy is Alexander Holtz. And now there's going to be some debate in terms of where things go in the draft after this, but Alexander Holtz is my number three right now. He's got six points in 15 games in, the, in playing for Jewgarden in the Swedish Hockey League. Immense skill set, great release, good passer. You know, he kind of has all these offensive tools. I think he needs to improve his play away from the puck, but he's a top line player in the Swedish Hockey League at 17 years old. Um, you know, won a gold medal with Sweden as an underager last year at the under 18 world championship and was a top line player for them there. So he's always played a bit ahead. And so right now those guys are my top three. Awesome. Well, I'm going to hit you now with some quick hitters, a uh, little uh, rapid fire for you. Give me a couple other names that we need to know, some sleepers that you like. Yeah, there's, there are a few. I mean, you know, and, and by sleepers at this stage of the season, you don't know where they're gonna, where they're gonna go. Um, but guys that are kind of under the radar. One, one guy is uh, William Wallander, uh, who, who plays in, in Sweden. He's a defenseman. Uh, he is, uh, a big body. He's spindly. He, he has incredible skill. Um, you know, I've seen him make some, some insane plays and at six foot four and, and kind of wiry, it just looks like he's all arms and legs out there. Uh, but it, it really confuses, uh, defensemen. And then another guy is Eamon Powell, who, uh, he's a defenseman for the world, the U.S. under 18 team. This is not like last year where the U.S. under 18 team is loaded with talent, uh, it, where they, we saw so many guys drafted, but, uh, Eamon Powell is one of those guys who's, he's, he's not a first round draft prospect, but he is a guy that I think that has, has a good amount of skill, has, uh, you know, some, 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 a good hockey brain. He doesn't, he's not a huge guy, but he's just a smart player. I like the way that he plays. And I think he's going to be a, a really interesting guy for this year. All right. What team most needs to nail this draft? Well, I think the easy answer is the, Ottawa Senators. I mean, you know, like they're going to have two first round draft prospects or, or two first two first round draft picks. The way the San Jose Sharks are playing right now, uh, it could be a high second draft pick as well. I mean, if I don't know if the Sharks will end up in the lottery, it's too early to say. But if they do, 
that's a boon for the for the senators in a year where I think that you know if you're in that top six right now, you have a really good chance to land a player that's that's going to make your team a lot better. You really want to be in that top two to to land that franchise altering prospect. Now the the senators are in last place. Um, you know, or close to last place and kind of hovered around last place throughout this year. There's kind of that idea that they're tanking. Um, and if they are, they have an opportunity to make their franchise a lot better. So absolutely, they're, they're so loaded with prospects right now. They need, but, but none of those guys that they have in their, in their, in their pool right now or any of their rookies is that franchise altering player. Lafreniere or Byfield could be that player for them. And, and I think that that's, Hugely important that they get one of those first two picks. What team would you say is on the clock this year for bad drafting in previous years? Well, I think it's just partially due to a lack of draft picks, but Pittsburgh has has really ha- has a shallow, shallow prospect pool. And as we're seeing, you know, they're, they're playing well now, or they're you know they've had good games, they've had a good stretch, they're still producing, but. You need those guys on those entry level contracts, and, and I don't think that they have a, a lot of sure things in their prospect pool right now. Um, you know, their their last first round draft pick, Samuel Poulan. I just saw him last night. You know, he's a guy that's going to take some time. You're, he's he's not necessarily that blue chip caliber first rounder that that you'd want to have, um, but it, you know, he's a guy that will help them. I think they have a couple of other guys that are, that are interesting at least, but but really, it's a shallow shallow pool. Um, that that if they don't fix soon is going to you know obviously as as their older players continue to get older it's going to become more of an issue and it, as we've seen they chase the cups they paid the price it's worth it it's all worth it but now they need to start focusing on, on building a little bit more for the future so that when the era of Crosby and Malkin is over they can have something to fall back on. Well, there you have it, folks. Chris Peters, as you can see, is our draft expert. You can follow all of his work. He has some great stuff on ESPN.com where he will be breaking this down from now until the draft in Montreal. Can you wait, Chris? I cannot wait. I There are so many smoked meats that I cannot wait to eat. <laughs> I'm there for the poutine. I'm there just for all the food. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to have a great time. All right. Now it is time for Puck Headlines. Dateline back of the net. Chris, between the first ever lacrosse goal in NHL history scored by one Andrei Svechnikov to a between-the-legs uh, game overtime winner from Matthew Kachuk, what is up with all of these crazy goals? I don't know. I just want more of it. I, I love it so much. And it, we're, it's not just in the NHL. We're seeing it all over the world. We had an amazing goal in the Minnesota-Wisconsin women's hockey game. Amy Potomac going between the legs in a shootout. Uh, we had, you know, uh, uh, Nils Hoglander in Sweden doing the lacrosse goal as, as maybe the best one ever, actually. I was, sorry, Andrei Svechnikov, Hoglander's was better. But either way, the, the skill level of young players in the National Hockey League, the skill level across the world, and these are all young people doing these, these things is amazing. Please keep it happening. Nobody, uh, nobody deserves to get knocked around like they said they would. That's why we never saw the Michigan that, that somebody, if somebody tried that in the NHL, they were going to get beaten up. That's not the case anymore. And so keep, keep doing it. Keep doing that. NHL players, youth hockey players, everybody. All right. Dateline Pittsburgh. 
The Four Nations Cup in the women's uh, senior division was canceled this year because of Sweden's standoff with its federation. So USA and Canada figured, well, we've got to play anyway. So they're having a joint training camp right now in Pittsburgh, culminating with two scrimmages. I've talked to a couple players about it. Kendall Coyne was like, I have no idea how it's going to go. I think we're supposed to be doing drills together and whatever. Chris, what do you think of what's going on and, and what does this mean for women's hockey? Well, I mean, they're the two best teams in the world. So I, if you're in Pittsburgh, you absolutely have to get over there and watch that. But also, you know, the great rivalry, for as big a rivals as they all are, they're all pulling towards the same goal, which is raising the level of awareness of women's hockey and also raising the attention. And, and this is a great opportunity in an NHL city. Uh, to, to get together, and these two teams are the reason that they're so good. They're they're constantly chasing each other. Yeah, I'm going to use this as a plug for a story I had out on ESPN.com this week on the Lamaru Twins. Something that I found really interesting was in 2017 when US the U.S. women battled USA Hockey over their contract negotiations, uh, we talked about all the things they want to fight for, sustainable wages, equal treatment, marketing. Um, but also one of the things they asked for was maternity benefits, which had never previously been given to women's players in the U.S. And the Lamaro twins are actually the first two to utilize it. They both had babies this past year. And one of the things that it guarantees them is that they can come back in a safe timeline. So they're guaranteed to be invited to at least two camps. So if they're invited to their first camp back post, um, post having a baby postpartum, um, and that was in August for them, even if they didn't feel like they're total great selves, they're guaranteed um, one more camp at least to prove themselves. So this will be their second camp back as they um, make their goal to making a world championship this team, team this year and also eventually Tokyo. So I encourage you to check out that story. I also have a really great story out later this week on Sophia Shaver. Uh, she has her first call-up to the U.S. women's national team. She was a forward at Wisconsin. And she has a pretty heartbreaking story of things that have gone on in her personal life and how it's affected her own mental health. And I'm just really grateful for Sophia to opening up. So check that story out on Friday. All right, back-to-back headlines. Dateline Winnipeg. WTF is going on with Dustin Bufflin. Uh, you know, we knew that he was not mulling over his future. And then we get news that, okay, he went out and got some ankle surgery on his own in Minnesota outside of the realm of the team. It's unclear how much the Jets knew. And now we're getting some word that his representatives are talking with the players union about potentially filing a grievance against uh, Winnipeg and, and asking for some pay. Because, look, he's not suspended without pay if he got it surgery going on for hockey related injuries. So Chris, what's your take on all of this latest developments? Well, it's, it's certainly not great news. If you're a Jets fan, you're hoping that you're, you know, that he would be coming back at some point. And I also think that, you know, as far as Dustin Bufflin goes, you know, here's a guy that, that made a decision uh, away from the team. And, and now you have to wonder what the, you know, does the league step in at this point? Does the PA step in? There's a lot of uh, moving parts to this. And, and really at the, at the end of the day for, for the jets, they're still in a situation where they have gaping holes in their lineup on, on their blue line and they're not easily addressed until they can figure out what's going on with big buff. Yeah. I'm curious to see if he does play this year. Obviously we're getting down to some deadlines. Um, of when he does need a suit up. I've been told that, you know, as he was mulling his future, he might not be in the best hockey shape. It might take him a little bit of time to get back his conditioning. Um, we know that, you know, he's a bigger player and weight has been an issue in his career. So I'm curious just to see what unfolds here and how he also recovers from this ankle surgery because that's not insignificant also. All right, All right yeah, finally. Yeah, we certainly miss him. <laughs> yeah, we do. Dateline, also in Canada, Calgary. 
Milan Lucic was suspended and his coach defended him and said that it was a ridiculous suspension. What say you, Chris? I think this is the exact kind of thing they're trying to get out of the game. I mean, I think Lucic was mad that he turned the puck over to Cole Sherwood and uh, then he went after him. I mean, you know, and it was, you know, yes, he, he poked the goalie. The puck was loose. Um, I just don't think that it deserves to, to – you get – punch in the face for that i know that there's been a lot of uh, a lot of guys that used to play in the league you know that was used to be a roughing penalty and that's true but this is a different situation um and lucic has been warned about this in the past so i mean i i have no problem with the suspension and i i don't think that there's any place in the game for that anymore awesome all right now it is time for the rant line first off we never once heard from this podcast the amazing moment on Twitter, the uplifting moment where Emily Kaplan was singled out on, I think, the pre-tape to Around the Horn, where another writer, uh, she was very enthusiastic about Emily Kaplan being on it, and I think that's deservedly so. Number two, I'm a Red Wings fan. Oh, boy, can you believe it? The Red Wings, can we just stop it with the fan base? Jeff Blashill. Oh, is there a controversy there? Who cares? Do you understand the lineup? Four years of heartbreak is in stone for all of us who love that winged wheel on the chest. We are talking about a team that who cares if the coach is not doing well, not doing good. The lineup is one line. One line. No defense. There's literally no defense for your defense saying that they're going to be anything remotely good. It's going to take four years, people, but don't be sad because in 2025, when we win the Stanley Cup, you will have won a car in 2020 because that's what they did in the early 80s when the Red Wings sucked. They gave away a car a week. So don't be sad. You're going to go to the parade route to when the Stanley Cup is given up on that amazing Coupe de Ville. I don't know what they give out these days. All right. There's a lot to unpack there, Chris. Uh, where where do you want to a, begin? Um... 2025 seems a little early to me. We'll start there. <laughs> Sorry, bud. <laughs> it's interesting because Steve Eiserman has been so cautious about assigning a timeline for when they're going to be relevant again. But he mentioned they don't have any defense, though. When I was in camp, all anyone wanted to gush about was Mort Sider. I do feel like they have a D-man. He needs to adjust the North American game. I think a year in the A will be great for him. Um, but they've got some people coming down their line. Yeah, they do. And, and I think that that's, that's important to, to, that's going to be a, a position with they're, they're going to have to continually address in the draft. I think they do have some other guys. Jared McIsaac, who, who plays for the Halifax Mooseheads, hasn't been able to play this year because he's been injured. Um, but he's another guy that I think will, will help them down the line. But yeah, man, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot to work on there. There's no question. I also think that, you know, Jeff Blashill, whether or not he's the right guy, I, I think that he's doing a fine job. You know, like they're, they're getting guys in. And, and yeah, so, I mean, I think that you just kind of have to be patient. It's, it's the worst when you're in this situation because you feel like the games don't necessarily matter, but they do. And and each of their, you know, especially the go watch Grand Rapids Griffins games. If you want, you know, if you want to want to have uh feel some hope, because I think there are some really good prospects there. Uh Just be patient. Red Wings fans. I know it, you're not used to this, but it's going to take a while. So just relax. Well, Chris, my, sincere gratitude for you for filling in for greg so admirably i had so much fun uh where i did can too find your work well well thanks for having me this was a lot of fun for me and yes you can find my work on espn.com espn plus 
I'm on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. We're the, the middle initial gang with the M as the Emily M. Kaplan, right? So you know what? we have so much in common, Chris. Do you we, find that really Chris Peters probably is a little more stereotypical than mine? But there's so many Emily Kaplan's out there, low key. Yeah, there's a lot of Chris Peters too. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like way too many. But I am the the Chris M. Peters of Twitter, so mm. take that. I was not even Chris's. the Emily Kaplan of my own high school. There was another Emily Kaplan. Got <laughs> called into uh, principal's office yeah, when she was skipping that. a yeah freshman year bio, and I was like, dude, I'm a senior. I'm not taking that class. <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, you can find my you? stuff. Yeah, exactly. As you know, on Emily M. Kaplan on Twitter and ESPN.com. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Go on vacation more, Greg. <laughs> That's our show. <laughs> Thanks. Ready? Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.